All right, well, Matthew chapter 3, we have been working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And over the last few weeks, we've worked through a couple of stories. We've gone through the birth story of Jesus, the Magi story, uh, Jesus as a baby going down to Egypt, coming back. We talked uh, about last week, we, we took uh, some time to do a little backstory on this week's teaching, which was the story of uh, John the Baptist and, and how he came into existence. And we talked about that. This week, the big question is, what do you leave in and what do you leave out? So I wanted to give just a a little bit of backstory before we get into this today. Last week we referenced it, so I need to do that again. But uh, there on your outline, you'll notice it says, the Old Testament ended with, and God had given a promise. And the promise went like this. Now you want to underline a couple of things as we travel through. The Old Testament ends with God saying, behold, I will send you Elijah. Now underline Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And uh, we talked about that last week, that God was going to send a prophet just before Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, uh, literally uh, months before, and he would be preparing the way for people to meet the Messiah, to meet Christ. And so after 400 years we, we looked last week, the angel appears to a priest named Zacharias and, and says, you're going to have that child that's going to come and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so we talked about that last week and the angel said, you're going to name him John. Today uh, he's going to have the nickname of John the Baptist. I'm going to pick it up in verse one, I'll read verses one and two. And it says, now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And I've underlined wilderness of Judea saying, And I've underlined the word repent. Now underline the word repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So a couple of things. First of all, as our story begins to unfold, John is about 30 years of age at this point. From last week, we talked about how his dad was a priest, and so he grows up in that kind of family. And then he also, we noticed that he spends a great deal of his time in the wilderness and in kind of the the desert. And it's not quite desert, but it's, it's, it's it's a wilderness. So I wanted to just give some perspective today on that. If uh, you look down at the bottom there of the, the nation of Israel, you see Jerusalem, and then you see the Sea of Galilee at the top, and then you have the River Jordan River coming down, and that goes into the Dead Sea. If you draw a line from Jerusalem over to the Jordan River, that's the area that John would, John's ministry will focus in on. So it's not completely completely desolate, but it's just not very, very populated, especially as you uh, would come near Jerusalem. So that's where he's going to be, and people are going to be going out to hear what he has to say. So it says that he comes, and he comes preaching, and Luke, when Luke tells the story, and this, this is one of those stories that's, that's told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but Luke adds a detail. Now, when Luke tells the story, and I put that there on your outline, it says, with many other exhortation, he and that's John, preached the gospel. And I want you to underline the word gospel. And I put in parentheses, good news to the people. So Luke tells us that he was preaching the gospel to the people, and gospel just means good news. As a matter of fact, if, if you were to look at this in a literal translation, it just means, and I put that there in your outline from Young's literal translation, he was proclaiming the good news to the people. The word in the Greek is, is gospel. Gospel wasn't really a religious term, it just meant good news. So when you told somebody good news, they'd say you just told them gospel. It's become, it's become more uh, religious because that's how, how we know it. 
But go ahead and write this down on your outline. John the Baptist preached the gospel. And that's what, what Luke tells us. And, and if he's preaching the gospel, the one thing that I, I, I wanted us to notice is that in verse 1, it says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, and the very first word of his gospel is the word repent. Underline that word repent. How many of your Bibles, it's, the, it's pretty much the first word there, repent. Good. And uh, he's, so he preaches the gospel, and uh, at this point, for most of us, we would say, okay, he preaches the gospel, he says repent, and we would move on. But I wanted to highlight something today that, that, I, that I think is very important that, again, we often skip over. When we come to the next chapter, we're in Matthew, we're in Matthew 3, it, when we go next week to Matthew chapter 4, one of the things that we're going to find is that Jesus is going to begin his earthly ministry. When he begins his earthly ministry, I put the verse there on your outline from Matthew chapter 4, it says, Jesus began to preach, and the very first word is going to be the word, what's it say? Repent, underline that, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then Jesus is going to gather some disciples around him, and he's going to send them out to preach. Well, what will they preach? Well, in Mark's gospel, it's going to tell us that they went out and preached that men should, and what's that word? Repent. And so then you go a few years into the future on what's called the day of Pentecost. Now, this is where this is after Jesus has died on the cross, buried, raised from the dead, ascends to heaven. Uh, sometime after that, uh, the Holy Spirit falls upon the apostles. Peter stands up and he gives this incredible sermon and people respond and they, they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter responds, and I put it there on your outline, Peter said to them, and what's the first word? Repent, underline that. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But that's the first word. Well, a few decades after that, there's Paul the Apostle. And at the end of the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, Paul is defending what he's been doing, and he's before the king at that time. And Paul just says, here's what I've been doing. And there in your outline, it says, he says that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance, underline that. So what, what I notice in this is that the very first word is the word repent, and it's when everybody in the Bible begins to speak, they always start with repent. So apparently this is a very big deal. Now there on your outline, I put from the Greek the word repent and, and how it's commonly defined. I won't try to pronounce the Greek word, you can see it there, but it means to think differently or afterwards, uh, to reconsider morally and to feel compunction. I love the word compunction. It's not a word that we typically use, but it's, it's the one that unpacks what this really means. So, so here's the definition of compunction. Anxiety arising from an awareness of guilt. It's distress of mind over an anticipated action or result. And what we're going to find is that repentance begins with this sense of, I need to be right with God. I need to be right with God. Webster, there on your outline, when they define repent, they say, to turn from sin and to dedicate oneself uh, to the amendment of one's life to change one's mind. Re repentance is very simply recognizing that I am not right with God. And we're going to find that getting right with God is going to involve an actual turning away 
from sin. Now, I believe that this is so important. And it's important because in our world, in church world today, it's very common, popular to skip the word repent and we tell people about a gospel of enhancement. You come to Jesus because he's going to fix your marriage, your relationships, your finances. He's going to help you live out your greater purpose and all of these things. But we skip over the first word and the word is repent, repent. And the reason that that hits me, the reason that that hits me as your pastor is because in a few weeks we're going to come to Matthew chapter 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to make a very strong statement. And apparently what's happened is that people have embraced a gospel that started somewhere other than repent. So in in Matthew 7, it's going to say, and I put it there in your outline, you're familiar with it, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Then he says, many, and I put the word mostly there in parentheses, and the reason that I did that is that word many is also the same word as mostly. You can translate it equally as mostly, which makes me very concerned. Many, or mostly, will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, now what I notice in that is they were there, they were involved, they were active, but they missed something. Some would suggest that they thought it was a works salvation because they immediately start saying, I did this, I did that. Uh, Well, maybe they did, but they still missed something. I'm going to suggest to you what they missed was repentance. Maybe what they missed was somebody gave them the gospel of enhancement. You come to Jesus because he does this, 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 and this, uh, but they left out, you come to Jesus and you repent and you say, I'm not right with God. I need to be made right with God. For whatever reason, they miss it, yet they they were there. Well, fortunately in this, John's going to help clear up a little bit about what that means. Uh, Verses 3 and 4, he continues on talking about John's ministry. And he says, for this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Verse 4, now John himself, it describes John, had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. So not a great diet, and uh, you know, take that for whatever. And, and uh, what's interesting to me is, remember we underlined the word Elijah in the beginning, and uh, here it says he has a, a coat of hair and he has a leather belt. There's this interesting little passage in the Old Testament. Uh, Elijah's not very popular with the king, and uh, there on your outline, the king's looking for him, and, and they replied, it says, he, has a, he, he was a man with a garment of hair, a camel's hair we'd say, and with a leather belt around his waist. And the king said that was Elijah. So this John the Baptist and Elijah, they're going to have very, very similar ministries, even to the point where they wear the same clothing and apparently eat the same food. So anyways, verse five, it says, then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and the district around the Jordan. 
And they were being baptized, underline the word baptized, by him in the Jordan, in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sins. Underline, they confessed their sins. So it says the whole country is going out to him. That, that would be Judea, that would be the whole country. They were traveling quite a distance. John never performs any miracles. Everything that he does is just speaking, and, and whatever he's saying, they, they feel like they need to come hear it. And John is telling people that they need to repent. That's the first thing. In verse 6, at the very end, it says he was baptizing them in the Jordan as they confessed their sins. So apparently, John felt that part of repentance, or repentance, and you want to write this down, involved the confession of sins. The confession of sins. Not that they were giving a list of everything they had ever done, uh, I think that they were just confessing, I haven't been the person that I need to be. I'm not right with God. I, I have sinned and I need, I need to get right with God. I also notice that John didn't baptize without confession. In, in the Bible, every time there's baptism, it, it comes at the time that somebody confesses. And uh, so we, we know that apparently it was the confession that gave the baptism its meaning. In the Bible, uh, confession was the result of repentance, and then it was followed with baptism, which is why here at Calvary, we, we don't baptize babies. We do baby dedications, but we don't, we don't do baby baptisms. And the reason being is as we read the Bible, we notice that confession is always attached to, to baptism. Now, we're not hostile. We just, we'd be very different than our Catholic or Methodist, or not Methodist, but Presbyterian. Presbyterian friends or, or Lutherans or, or people from other groups that do baptize, ba- baptize babies. Um, these are not things that we break fellowship over. We're just different. So here at Calvary, when you talk about breaking fellowship, uh, we believe here at Calvary, all Christians, when we think of the dividing line, all Christians believe that Jesus is God, and everybody else believes that Jesus is, and that's the dividing line. So there's going to be a lot of differences and disagreements, but we don't break fellowship over these things. So, um, so because of that, a few years ago, there, there's a family in our church. They come from a Catholic background, wonderful family. They came to Calvary, and for the first time in their, their experience, it was the first time they'd ever been in church where somebody had opened the Bible, read through and explained it, but very, very, very Catholic in their background. So over time, they have a child, and they're here, but they want to have their baby baptized in the Catholic church. It was very important to them. So they invited me to participate in that, which I did. I did. Again, this isn't something that we break fellowship over. They know my position, that I believe that you baptize when you confess, and there's repentance. But, but, I, but it's, again, it's not something that we break fellowship. So I went and participated. The priest was very, very gracious with me. He had me read certain passages of scripture. He said, this is uh, Bob's friend and, and he is, he's going to be here as a pastor. And so he's going to be part of the ceremony. So they had me uh, read certain passages. And I, and I loved what the priest said. Uh, great appreciation. He said, at Pastor Dan's church, they baptize you when you confess, when you repent and you confess, then they baptize you. He says, here, we baptize in faith that they will confess and repent. So I, I think they might get the cart before the horse a little bit, but at least I appreciated the perspective. And so um, again, it's not something that we break fellowship over. 
Then I also wanted you to notice verse 6. It says, they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Now that's interesting. They were going into the Jordan River and the word there for baptism, baptizo in the original language was not really a religious word. It just meant to, to get thoroughly wet, to submerge, uh, to, to immerse or submerge. And again, I put that on your, on your outline. So for that reason, by and large here at Calvary, our practice is, is to submerge when we baptize and not to sprinkle. We're not hostile to those who sprinkle. That's not something that we divide over, but that's why we do that here. We, we submerge rather than sprinkle. A few years ago, I went before the church leadership and I said, you know, you got the sprinkling thing and you, you have the submersion thing and where you go all the way under. And I wonder, is there a way that we can meet in the middle? And so I suggested a new practice, which we would call hosing, where you just <laughs> spray them down. And I, sometimes people don't realize the true theological depth that, uh, that I... So anyways, I didn't get my way. I just put that out there. So if you want to be hosed, then uh, let us know. John's baptism will be for repentance. Now, this would be very different than what the Jewish people would be used to. They would have washings, and the washings would be for people who were Gentiles who wanted to become Jewish. But they didn't really have baptisms. And uh, so when you were Jewish and you realized you were not right with God, you didn't go get baptized. Uh, you, what you would do is you'd go get a sacrifice and then you'd take that sacrifice to the temple. So John is doing this repentance thing without a sacrifice, which would be very, very strange to the Jewish mind. And what we find is that the reason that John is doing this is because the Messiah, the Christ, he's the one who's pointing people to Jesus. So Jesus is ultimately going to be the sacrifice, the one who's going to pay the price. So he is baptizing for repentance, but pointing people to Jesus who will ultimately be baptized in Jesus. John's baptism will be slightly different than Jesus's baptism. John's baptism was for repentance. I'm not right with God. There needs to be a change. God, I want to be right with you. When they were baptized in John's baptism, when Jesus came, they would then be baptized into Jesus, we would say. And the difference is this. It still begins with repentance, recognizing I'm not right with God, but then saying uh, it's then identification with Jesus. In the book of Romans, Paul says that, that we have been united with Christ through baptism. It says that for Christ died, was buried, and rose again, and so never to die again. So in the same way, we are buried with Christ through baptism into death so that as we are raised, we are raised to a newness of life. So it's, it's slightly different, but it's now identifying, it's repentance and identifying with what Jesus did for us. Verse 7, he says, but when he saw so many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee? And I want you to underline from the wrath to come. Uh, he calls them brood of vipers. John struggled with his people's skills. And uh, so why don't you do that? If you have been around the Bible for some time in the Bible, that goes all the way back to Genesis. The snake was always a picture of Satan. 
when he calls them a brood of vipers, what he's saying to the religious leadership is that you are literally sons of Satan. And then I had you underline in verse uh, 7, it says, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Make sure you underline that. Verse 8, it says, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So, So apparently when it says bear fruit in keeping with repentance, John believes, and you want to write this down, that real repentance leads to a change in behavior. There's going to be a change. There in your outline I put it, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Fruit is the outcome. It's just the outcome. And it's the evidence of an inner change. An orange tree never strains to produce oranges. It produces oranges because that's just what it is. It's what's going on on the inside. An orange tree doesn't produce fruit to become an orange tree. It produces fruit because it's an orange tree. So the fruit, the outcome of our lives is the evidence of something that's taking place on the inside. Go ahead and and write this down. Fruit or the outcome or change behavior isn't effort for salvation. It's just simply evidence of our salvation. So if somebody repents, there's going to be a change. Verse 8, it says, verse 8, therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that these stones, God is, uh, are from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The Acts, verse 10, is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Underline, thrown into the fire. Not trying to produce good fruit, it's just realizing that, that it was never... Uh, it just was not a fruit-bearing tree. It wasn't, uh, we would say not, there was no repentance. The religious leadership shows up to where John is preaching. And John says to them, don't think that, that there's anything in the fact that you're Jewish because God can raise up stones to be sons of Abraham, as he calls it. And the, the idea is that they would say, well, we're okay with God, we're, we're Jewish. I mean, we're God's chosen people. Sure, we're fine. They were pointing to their heritage as evidence that they were okay with God. John is saying, your heritage has nothing to do with you being right with God. In today's world, it's very common to, if you were to ask somebody, what is, you know, how's your relationship with the Lord? They immediately point to their heritage. They say, well, well, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, I'm, I'm Methodist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Lutheran, I'm Calvary, I'm, I'm whatever. They point to that. Have you ever seen somebody do that? As though their heritage is what makes them right with God. And what he's saying here in, in this is if John were here today, he would say God can raise up stones to be churchgoers. Your heritage does not make you right with God. There needs to be something else, and, and that's repentance. So um, you know, I, I used to say, and I, I don't say it anymore, it didn't go well, but I, I used to say, but I don't say it again anymore. But what I used to say at this point, that I don't say anymore, is I would stop and I would say, guys, you have to understand that going to church doesn't make you Christian any more than going to Dunkin' Donuts makes you a cop. And, <laughs> and, but, but I don't say that anymore. And I'll tell you why. Because I did say that. 
And when I said that, I was leaving after the service. I'm heading out the door, and there were five or six guys there. They were cops, right? And they were big, and they had guns, and they were mad. And they said, don't you ever say that again. I was like, so I said, well, what do I do? They said, don't you ever say going to church makes you a Christian anymore. You know, it doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to Dunkin' Donuts makes you a cop. Instead, from now on, you are to say, and I won't say this either, they said anymore, you say, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than walking around Publix makes you a fireman. And I said, <laughs> I said, I will never, I'm not, and it's, I'm just not going to say that. Ever. So anyways, back to our story. So they walk around. <laughs> so so the, the religious leadership is there, and John has just said, you brood of vipers. It's at this point that the people look on and they say, well, if, if the religious leadership isn't right with God, what about us? In Matthew's gospel, he stops the story right there, but Luke continues the story because the people begin to say, well, what about us? So there in your outline, I, I, won't have, I won't elaborate, we'll just go through it, but it gives some details about what repentance looks like. The story continues in Luke's gospel. The crowd says, what should we do then? John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. So apparently repentance looks like a change in how I view possessions. It belongs to the Lord. Uh, then another group, Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. So there, a change, a repentance uh, manifests in a change in how I conduct my business. Another group, some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And and there, it, it manifests in a change in how I use my power and influence. Later in the chapter, it's going to say, but John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife. Uh, Herod had taken his brother's wife. And all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all that he locked John up in prison. Uh, We won't elaborate on it, but, but here you get from that that apparently true repentance means a change in morality. You want to write that down? So true repentance manifests in that way. And then we come to verse 11, he says, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John's saying it's going to be a little bit different. His winnowing fork, verse 12, is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with, and I want you to underline where it says, unquenchable fire, unquenchable fire. In verse 10, did I have you underline where the very last phrase where it says thrown into the fire? You want to underline where it says thrown into the fire. And then in verse 7, remind me, did I uh, have you underline the last phrase there where it says wrath to come? Okay, make, make sure that those three phrases are, are underlined. Now here's why. Part of the gospel is understanding what I have been saved from. 
And in this passage, three times, John tells us, and I've actually condensed that there on your outline. Those who repent are, from verse 7, saved from the wrath to come. Uh, They are not thrown into the fire, verse 10, and are kept from unquenchable fire. So if the gospel means good news, and you are saved from all of that when you repent, you want to write this down, that is very good news. That is very good news. Now, in this chapter, John, as he's speaking, he highlights what you and I would call hell three different times in three different ways. You and I live in a day where there are professing Christians who say, I don't believe in hell. I don't believe that there is that eternal punishment or separation from, from not repenting, from not coming to him and receiving his salvation. When in our society we begin with a gospel that skips repentance and moves straight to enhancement, then very naturally the next step is to also say, well, I'm, he's supposed to enhance my life. Uh, it has nothing to do with repentance. Very naturally we move to the next step, which says, I don't really believe that there's an eternal consequence for rejecting this. And it's very common in our world today. When somebody says, I, I don't believe in a God that will send me to that place. It's not that he's sending, he's doing everything that he can to invite us not to wind up in that place. In my house, as you know, we have 12 kids, 11 kids at, at home. If somebody shows up on a Tuesday night and they knock on the door and I open the door, they come in. That's how you come in. At a certain point at the night, we shut the door. If somebody tries to come in through the window another way, they don't meet loving father. They, they meet wrathful dad. And that would be the same in all of your, fa- in all of your, your families. You have the opportunity, and it's good news, because he came specifically to save you from the wrath to come, from the eternal fire, the unquenchable fire. But it begins with repentance. Repentance is saying, I am not right with God. I need to be right with God. And then it's accepting what he has done on your behalf. Now, if, how do you, how do you know that you've embraced a gospel of enhancement over a gospel that begins with repentance? Here's how you know. Something bad happens in your life and you're mad at God. And the reason you're mad at God is because at your core, you embrace the gospel that says he came to enhance my life, and when he doesn't, I'm mad. That's not the gospel. He does want to enhance your life. He does want to repair all of those things, but it starts with repentance. When you start with repentance, then you say, I am his, whether he enhances my life or not. Because my worst day here is better than any day there. 
I, I loved having Bob Schindler come up today, and I love Mission One, and I love supporting the missionaries that we support in the places where just coming together like this could cost you your life. For those pastors, for those people who accept, there is no gospel of enhancement. It's repentance. I need to be made right with God, and that's the single most important decision I ever make. I'm going to close with prayer, as I do. If you have embraced the gospel of enhancement, I encourage you, come back to the gospel that begins with repentance. Repentance says, I'm not right with God. I need to get right. God, I'm yours. Whether you enhance my life or not, I need to be right with you. And the way that you do that, and as I pray, there's not a formula in the Bible. We just invite him to come in. We recognize. We say, I repent. And then as you do this, I want you to know that after the service, there's going to be some prayer partners standing by. They would love to pray with you. Don't leave here today without solidifying that decision. At the very least, let us know by writing on your card that you made that decision today. But you can make that decision right now as we pray. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap up this time together, we didn't make this up. We just read it and looked at what it says. Father, for some of us, we've come to the place where we realize the gospel that we follow didn't begin with repentance. And we went right to enhancement. But today, we turn and we say, God, I want to be right with you. Whatever happens in my life, the single most important thing for all eternity is that I am right with you. And so right now, I repent. I recognize I'm not who I should be. I'm not right with you. I'm asking you to forgive me. And as you forgive me, I want that change in every area of my life. I want you to step in at the deepest part of me and do that change inside so that the outcome, the fruit, becomes very natural. The Bible says that that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we repent recognizing that we haven't been who we should be. We haven't been right with you. And now we want that everlasting life realizing that it's nothing that we do. It's what you did on our behalf. And your word tells us that you stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, you will come in. And you'll have fellowship and friendship with us. And you will never leave. And if you've invited him in today, then just know that he will never leave. And what you're going to find as you've done that, there's going to be a change. 
maybe for the first time in your life, there's going to be a hunger for the things of God that has never been there before. You're going to want to learn about him. You're going to want to develop that relationship. And you're going to know that there's nothing that you could have ever done to manufacture that. It's something that he did. Before you leave here today, again, solidify that decision with one of the prayer partners in the front. Let us know. Father, I pray that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And once again, all God's people said, God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.